0: The Destiny Foundation is proud to present this sixth tape series entitled, Pesach Perspectives, recorded live in Jerusalem by Rabbi Beryl Wine. This is the fourth tape in the series, number 408, entitled, Matzah and Moror. We hope you enjoy. We all know that uh, Pesach is about eating. And in fact, the main mitzvot of Pesach uh, have to do with eating. Uh, The eating of the matzah and the eating of the moror. And uh, those are the topics, uh, matzah and moror, that I would like to discuss with you tonight. Jewish people are uh, very conscious about eating. All the jokes about us uh, are uh, true. true story, which I'm sure happened many, many, many times, but which happened to me once, is that uh, our, uh, our yeshiva in Muncie used to sponsor uh, weekends at uh, once a year at very uh, fancy places, and uh, it was catered by a uh, kosher caterers, etc., and uh, the... Uh, hotel or the conference center always reserved the right to sell liquor, which to them always was a very, very large source of income. But when our group showed up, uh, it was not such a large source of income. And the major d' said, you guys don't drink, but you can sure eat. And that truism uh, reflects itself because eating in the Jewish tradition is a holy act. It's governed by many, many laws, laws of kashras, laws that have to do with uh, blessings beforehand and afterwards, uh, about mixing food, uh, and because on certain, on the holy days and on uh, Shabbat, eating is part not only of our routine, but our routine of holiness. And therefore, eating always remained in the Jewish psyche uh, as something that people were finicky about. An important item. In the uh, thoughts regarding Pesach, the Matzah and Moror, which are mitzvahs of eating, and so all of the philosophers and great scholars and later the Hasidic masters and the Bali Musr all said that Pesach, the eating The mitzvot of eating on Pesach are connected with the first Avera, with the first sin of humankind, which had to do with eating. And Rabboni Sholem told Odom HaRishon in the Garden of Eden, the original man, he told him, Mikol Eitz Hagan Ochol Toche, from all the fruit that grows on the trees in this garden, you should eat. Ochel tochel is not a uh, an option. Ochel tochel is a command. Eat from it. But meitz hadas tovura in the middle of the garden is the tree of knowledge of good and bad. Lo Don't eat from that. The man through his wife is unable to withstand the temptation every time in life we want to have what we are not entitled to. We call it Zagad. We have 15,000 varieties of fruit. Every one perfect. It's not enough. But there's one fruit that I can't have. The one that I can't have, that's the one I want. The nature of man. I've mentioned many times regarding Purim, uh, that the uh, Torah says, uh, Torah and I and Where do we know homon in the Torah? Where's the reference to homon? So the rabbi say, because it says, hamin hoaitz. God said to man, to Adam, he said, did you eat from the tree? So hamin and homon are the same letters. So what is this? again with letters? the rabbis are uh, scrambled. Crossword puzzle. The rabbis taught us here the problem. Homan, he walks out on the veranda, 50,000 Persians bow to him. In the back, there's one little Jew that doesn't bow to him. <laughs> Homan is just out of his mind because one person didn't bow. He doesn't see the 50,000 who bowed. He sees the one that didn't bow. That's the same idea as Odomarisha. He doesn't see the variety of fruit that he can eat. He only sees the one fruit that he cannot eat. That's what disturbs him. And that's where all of this comes from. That's where people's aggressions come from. The national aggressions. It's not what I have. It's more, I want another, some more territory, some more people, some more wealth, whatever. One would have thought by now, especially in this century, that nations would have been tired of war, would have learned a lesson of how bitter it is. Uh, But apparently it's inexhaustible. Uh, What is the difference to Serbia, whether it has another ten miles of Kosovo or doesn't have another ten miles of Kosovo? but the whole world is ready to go to war over it. That's Hamino Eitz. So the rabbi said that the origin of the mitzvah of eating on Pesach, Matzah, and Moror is to stand in opposition to the Avera of Odomerishan of eating from the Eitz Hadass. It's eating versus eating. And that generally is the... Uh, greatness of how uh, the Torah and how the Jewish people always looked at things in life. We never saw things, really until lately, which uh, I think will need a correction, but we never saw things as forbidden per se. The thing itself is forbidden to eat. The only time it's forbidden to eat is when God, the will of God is involved. So therefore, for instance, on the day before Yom HaKippurim, on Erev Yom HaKippurim, it's a mitzvah to eat. And on Yom HaKippurim, it's a mitzvah not to eat. And the rabbis say that if a person can eat on Erev Yom HaKippurim, he has the mitzvah as though he would have fasted two days. So it's not the eating or the not eating that matters. It's the obedience to the will of God. It's the willingness to listen to what Kaviochel the Rebbe Shalom tells us to do. And the same thing here with chometz and matzah. All year round we eat chometz. All year round you can eat chometz. So chometz is not intrinsically awesome Tonight we eat only matzah because. That's what God told me. Tonight you're going to eat masa. And it's that view of life that things in the world are neutral. They're not good or bad. Every act in life can be a mitzvah and it can be an averil. It depends on the circumstances. It depends when and where and how. So that uh, uh, the act of intimacy can be called kadushin, holiness. The act of intimacy is immorality, uh, an act of degradation. The act is neutral. The person is what characterizes it. The circumstances. And that's why the Rabboni Shalom gave us such a great Torah with so many mitzvot. Because in life, everything that we come across can be a mitzvah or it can be an avera. Depends on us. Depends how we do it. And uh, I mentioned to you uh, the idea, for instance, if someone is, God forbid, ill on Shabbos, and the person has to be taken to the hospital, or other things have to be done, the doctor has to be called on the phone. So that's, uh, and if you do so, as you should do so, and do so with alacrity, so you're doing the will of God. So God told you to do it, right? The same God that told you under normal circumstances that you don't make phone calls on jobs. So it is that viewpoint of life uh, that is concentrated in the mitzvahs of eating. There's eating that's a mitzvah, and God forbid eating that's an avayra. There's a kosher McDonald's and another kind. And you have the choice. The thing itself is neutral. And that's what we say uh, in every bracha that we make on a mitzvah, Asher kidishonu b'mitzvotzo v'tzivonu. And he told us to do it. That's why I do it. The entire Western world, the democratic Western world, that is so worried about everybody's rights and doesn't deal with anybody's duties, that world is doesn't accept Vitsivanu. Nobody can tell me what to do. There is no higher law. There is no one to whom I'm responsible for. Or responsible to. There's no Vitzivanu. Nobody commanded me anything. And therefore everything looks strange. I mentioned uh, this Shabbos in my brilliant sermon that uh, the uh, chumish, Says, yisem, you're strangers. Kumish repeats it over and over again. Strangers. Atemi modi, you're all guests in my house. So that's the basic Jewish concept. I mentioned that if somebody walks into somebody's house, he's a guest. He's going to sleep overnight. And he says, you know, I don't like the way you arrange your pictures. And he arranges the pictures. And I don't like the way your furniture is set. He all the furniture. And, you know, you're using the wrong dishes. You know, I mean, what kind of guest is that? Take them throw them out. And what kind of a boor is that? We're all guests in God's house. He has hung the pictures the way He wants them hung. You're all strangers with me. You're all my guests. You're not going to be here long. I've ordered it for you the way I want it. That's the basic idea of itzivanu. And that is the line that divides. There's nothing else that divides. It's only that concept that divides. Everything else that we see and hear, all of the philosophical arguments, all of the uh, noise that goes on in the Jewish world only revolves about that one word, is there a concept of itzivanu. If there's no concept of Yitzhivanu said, so then why not? Let's change the rules every five minutes. I like it this way. I like it that way. I can move the pictures wherever I want. Whose house is this synagogue? Is it the house of God, or is it my house, the board of trustees, the members? If it's my house, it's the board of trustees, the members, I can do whatever I want, right? Let's have a vote because we're democratic and we'll do whatever we want. But if it's the house of God and he wants the synagogue to look a certain way and he told us how he wants it to look, and this week's Parsha of Truman had a whole Parsha of how he wants the tabernacle to look, who cares how he wants it? It's for us. It's not for him. The answer is he told us how to arrange it, how he wanted it. And that's the whole concept of the Shivan. And that's the concept of matzah on pesach He told us to eat matzah on pesach So if you eat matzah a week before, it's no mitzvah. If you eat it a week later, it's no mitzvah. I want you to eat it that night. He'll tell us reasons why. But after all the reasons, the reason is because he told us to do it. And that's an affirmation of our faith. It's an affirmation of our tradition. It's an affirmation of ourself. Definite, definite values that are unchanging standards that remain the same. <speaking in Hebrew> the holy Shalom hasn't changed, right? Unless you believe in a different God. Maybe God has also become modern. Maybe he's also changed his mind. This is an age-old argument that we've had. There are no two New Testaments. There's nothing new here. Sinai is Sinai. That's the origin of the Jewish people. It's the origin of all Jewish faith. Without it, so then we have nothing. Without it, the whole 3,400 years is a lie. That's the basic issue. And all of that is in a piece of matzah. All of that lies in the mitzvah of eating the matzah on Pesach. In the Urshalmi, we read that in order to have a feeling of freedom, two things have to happen. We have to rid ourselves of chametz, and we have to introduce matzah. Now, here again, in Jewish uh, tradition, in Jewish philosophy, the idea of chameitz is something that rises. It's the or it's the yeast. It went, it's, uh, so to speak, the puffing, the air that's within us. The arrogance of man, especially the arrogance of intellectual man. There's no one as arrogant as an intellectual who believes that he or she is an intellectual. Because he knows better. He knows better. He knows what's good for you. You don't know. But he knows. Anyone who is acquainted with any of the writings, uh, or acquainted with the history of what those writings brought about, of the Marxist left throughout the world, uh, that's the issue. They knew better. And if it would have to kill a hundred million people to prove it, that was worth it because they knew better. And just as today, uh, in this country and in many other countries, right? There are people who know better. They know better. They know their way is right. And in order to accomplish it, so they're willing to trample over others. That's the chometz. That's the yeast within us. That's what uh, puffs us. Pummets is bread that's got a lot of air in it. Right? Take a good fresh challah and you squeeze it. You know, you end up with the you end up with a very small piece in your hand, right? But when it's full of air, it's a nice big challah. Matza doesn't work that way. Matza has no air in it. And therefore, the first step towards freedom is to let the air out a little. And that's why it's associated with Pesach. Because Pesach is the remembrance of the fact that we did not come over on the Mayflower. Ki <inaudible> gerim You were slaves for hundreds of years. You came from the bottom rung of society. You were not better than your masters. In fact, that's why the Torah says that the Egyptians are allowed into the Jewish uh, community uh, because what was the difference between you and the Egyptians? Why are you better and why are they worse? Because I'll say a great rule one which uh, I never discuss politics publicly. In fact, I rarely do it privately, except when the prime minister calls for my advice, but otherwise. But the rabbi said a great rule, that you should never have a leader unless he has a kuposh o shrotzi al unless somehow he has a pass. Unless somebody can whisper in his ear and say, hey, you know, I remember. I remember that, you know, when we were in high school together, you remember that? All right, they're in college. So he can say, well, I didn't inhale, okay. But remember, the problem is he forgot. In the arrogance of office, he forgot the Koopa But the kufa shal is an essential part of leadership because it humbles us. It teaches us that we can make mistakes. We're not perfect. Uh, That chametz, even though all year round we partake of it and we have to have it, a person has to have a certain amount of air of puffing within him. But nevertheless, on Pesach, and the drive for freedom... Freedom is achieved through matzah. Freedom is achieved through honesty with oneself. With getting rid of the illusions and the delusions. Seeing oneself accurately. And it's very hard to do so. Very, The hardest job in the world is to look in the mirror. The, uh, the language of the Hasidic Masters is that I am always meshuchot. I'm always corrupted about myself. The corruption blinds the eyes of the wisest of men. you will take the greatest, most wonderful scholar, and when it comes to his own matters, Chazal say, You shouldn't pass in any shyness for yourself. Because the moment you're involved, you're blind. V'isalei tzadikim. The words of the righteous will take and twist them and bend them such so that right becomes wrong, day becomes night, good becomes bad, because I'm in power. And Torah wanted us to be aware of that and to try somehow to free ourselves from it. Matzah is the symbol of being able to free ourselves. Matzah is the symbol of honesty. Matzah is plain flour and water. So the Yishalmi says on the posik, who shmart them as HaMatzos, it says in the Torah that you should guard the Matzos, watch the Matzos. So the Yishalmi says that posuk was unnecessary, because we have many other Pesukim that refer to Matzos. Why did the Torah write that? So the Yerushalmi says, How do we watch the Matzah? By getting rid of the chometz? The first step in creating matzah is to be aware of chametz, and therefore that's the order of Pesach. The order of Pesach is the night before you have to you have vedikas chametz, you have to look for the chametz, and the morning before the seder you have to burn the chametz. You have to be Mavatalit, you have to destroy it. You have to say for the It means nothing to me. But there's chametz on the outside, but there's always chametz in the inside too. So the Bidikah's Chomet is really meant to be the Bidikah of ourselves. You know, there's a great custom that we have, part of the Haloch of Bidikah's Chomet, we search all of the rooms. All right? so if a person has a big house, I, when I was a rovin uh, in Muncie, so there, after a while there became an uh, accepted practice of adding rooms onto established houses. So that the houses grew and grew. So somebody once called me up, not a member in my shul, because my members I never was flippant with. And uh, they asked me if I would come over and tell them uh, where they had to put mezuzot. And uh, naturally, in the great tradition of Mumsey they did not have a rabbi of their own. So, uh, you know, I guess they looked me up in the phone book and, uh, come over. So I was in a magnanimous mood that month. And so I went over. So the guy shows me his house, and he, was, he built down here and he built down there. a is on his garage. How about the pantry? How about the laundry room? How about the extra room? So in a joking manner, I said, who's going to be boat at Comets in this house? I mean, you, you need a month. How are you going to do it in one night? So he looked at me and in all seriousness. He said, I never thought of that. Yeah, that is a problem. So I wanted to say, but I didn't. I said, the problem is, you know, uh, that bodekhometz uh, eventually shows us that we don't need all those rooms. If we're bodekhometz inside of ourselves, if we look at ourselves honestly, I don't need a milchika laundry room and a flesheika laundry room and a bar a laundry room. I don't need it. I really don't. People always are astounded uh, when I say, but it's the truth that the Chofetz Chaim had only one sink in his house. And it's uh, just the way it is, right? So I don't begrudge, God forbid, the Jewish people anything, especially in our generation after what has happened to us in this generation. tovo olam, whatever, it's fine. But the Dikas Chomedz is a symbol. It's a symbol of looking at ourselves, too. And I saw in the Mephorshim that they say uh, that one of the ideas of the Dikas Chomets, you're not allowed to talk in between, from the time you make the bracha till the time you finish. So even in an ordinary house, if you do a thorough job, it takes quite a few minutes to do it. In those quite a few minutes, you have time to think. Because usually if you're allowed to talk, then you never have time to think. But when you have to be quiet, my best sermons are thought of between the Tilat Yodayim Friday night and the Hamotzi. On the way back from the kitchen, that's, you know, when the inspiration hits me. Because the rest of the time, I'm always talking. I mean, you're talking, you can't think. You can't do two things at once. The silence that's required in B'dikas Chometz, that silence, is itself the symbol of the search for the chomets within ourselves. And the rabbis say, You have to look for the chomets as far as your hand can reach. So again, the great Hasidic masters say, as far as you can reach within you. That's how far you have to go. To your inner recesses of soul and of spirit. And that's why we have the concept of being mevatel the chomets, of canceling, annulling the chomets, to be able to say chomets means nothing. So to us, we Jews are ingenious, so we invented how to sell the chomets, you know, how to have our matzah and eat it too. That uh, we uh, we say, we get rid of all the chomets, but after Pesla we got all the chomets back. right? So that was an ingenious creation of the rabbis. But the truth of the matter is uh, that the idea of being mavat a is that at that instant there is no chometz. You don't have it. It's not yours. You're out. There's a great tshuva that's mentioned a number of times in the later Akronim, not a bihuda, a man sold his chometz. But he had like millions of dollars worth of chomets, he owned breweries. So when it was all over with the mechira, he said to the rov, but you know that I'm not selling it. So if he says that, is the sale valid? Because in his heart, he's not selling his brewery. In his heart, he owns the brewery, and he owns it on Pesach too. This was just an exercise in legalism. Well, if that's the case, the bitl is not valid. To get rid of the chomets, person has to mean it. And the same thing is true. To get rid of the chomets within ourselves, lip service is not enough. You have to mean it. For that we have a day called Yom HaKippurit. But Pesach is a reminder of that day. Pesach is a reminder of the fact Uh, that we have to get rid of the Chomets from within ourselves. And therefore, the Bidikas Chomets and the beetle of Chomets and the beer of Chomets in the morning when we burn it, physically burn it in front of our eyes, that's all a preface to eating the Matzah. If I can't get rid of the Chomets, then eating the Matzah did nothing. Sur meirov aaseitov, it says in Tehillim. Go away from evil. Then you'll be able to do good. We like to do evil and good together. Little of each. But the Dover HaMelech says that the formula is raw, Go away from evil. Then vaseito. Then you'll be able to do good. You'll be surprised how it is, how easy it is to do good things if you don't do bad things. Every bad thing that you do makes it harder to do a good thing. If you don't get rid of the chometz, then you can't eat the matzah. Because the matzah doesn't work, so to speak, on a person that has chometz. I have an example that I've used many times. Uh, my father-in-law, of blessed memory, always used to mention it on the Posig Sur Meirah of That there was, after the war, after the Second World War in the Detroit area, like in other areas in the United States, there was a tremendous pent-up demand for housing because people had money from the war, and during the war nothing was built, so you had immense projects that were built Uh, in Long Island, Levittown, et cetera, uh, enormous development projects. So there was a Jew in Detroit that bought the city dump, the garbage dump, and he got a good price on it. And he covered it over with topsoil, flattened it out, and he built what then were expensive homes, twenty five, thirty thousand dollar homes. And after and people bought it, and you know it was landscaped beautifully, and it was in the in an area surrounded by nothing. But after three, four years it started to smell. And the garbage seeped up. And you're sitting on a big expensive house in a garbage dump. So you used to say, sur meiro, v'aseito. You want to build good, you can't build it on a garbage dump. Eventually he'll catch up to you. Sur meiro, you have to go away from evil. You have to be the l'chomets. Then v'aseito. Then we'll do good things. But good things that are based on the fact that evil is also acceptable somehow, that it doesn't make a difference, that that doesn't work. So that's the custom of Betel. The Minchas in Halacha says, this concept of Betel, he said, is so strong that let's say a Jew doesn't own any Chomets. Doesn't own any Chomets whatsoever. So then the halacha should be that you don't have to be bodek for chomets, you don't have to be mavatol chomets. But the minchas chinuch says, most of the achronim disagree with him, but he says that you have to go out and buy chomets in order to be mevatelit. You have to go out and purchase actual chomets in order to burn it and be it, because we need that act, that positive act of the destruction of the chomets in order to be able to come to the mitzvah of eating matzah. And that is a uh, far-reaching chiddush and halacha that he says. But that also comes from uh, what he means, you know, ultimately the philosophy of it is the arrogance of people, right? I don't, you know, go tell Musa to somebody else. I don't need it. Uh, basically what... Uh, Uh, many uh, ideas in progressive Judaism were based upon the fact that all those laws were needed when the world was uncivilized. But not it was civilized. Now in the 19th century, when everything is civilized, then it's unnecessary. Except that we see that uh, it really is not very civilized yet. But that was the belief David HaMelech said in Tehillim, Libi b'kirbi. My heart, my soul is pure within me. I am protected from all Averis. David HaMelech said, I made it, right? Every night my heart wakes me up in the middle of the night, and I sing praises of God, and I sit and learn all day, and I'm the anointed one of God. What can happen to me? Libi b'kirbi. My heart is perfect, empty. So the prophet came and said, you said that, you'll see that you're going to do something that every child in the Talmud Torah in the fifth grade knows is wrong. Don't ever say, not me. I don't have any chomets. I don't have to be mavato. I can go straight to the matzah. And Tzadik Boris, asher says. There are no perfect people. Everybody could stand improvement. Everybody has chomets. And therefore, the introduction to Matzah on Pesach is that you have to be mevayah and Mavatal the chomets first. And an interesting shailah in halacha that stems from that. And uh, you know that uh, in the vocabulary of the modern day analysis of questions in the Talmud. So... Uh, We have a question whether the item is an iser Gavra or an iser Khefza. An iser Gavra means that the item itself is not Osir, it's not forbidden. The only thing that's forbidden, it's forbidden for me to do it. For instance, eating on Yom Kippur. The food is glad kosher. The food has no problem with it. The item is not a problem. It's just that there's an iser gavra. There's an iser put on the person. But the person should not eat it. And we can have many, many examples of that in halacha. A kohen cannot marry certain women. But other Jews can marry those women. So the woman is not forbidden. The woman has no iser to her. The iser is that a kohen can't marry her. So the iser's on the kohen. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Nisur keftza is that the item itself is forbidden. The item itself is not. It's not kosher. The item itself is uh, something that was used for idolatry. So the item itself is osur. Awesome. Now the question is: Chometz on is it an nisur gavre or is it an nisur keftza? Is the item itself osur? Awesome? Or the item itself is not Osir, but we're told not to use it, not to eat it, not to have benefit from it. And there are uh, ramifications in halacha, how we look at the matter. So, at first glance, we would say that it's only an Gavra because the chometz before Pesach is mutter, and the chometz after Pesach is mutter. However, there are achronim that say that the chometz itself takes on the severity of an Yisargavra, during the week of Pesach. And that's a, a way of looking at this problem of chometz. Now, there is no area in halochah that is more chomur, that is more stringent, that has less leniencies than in the matter of chometz. Chometz is also on Pesach b'mashehu. It, it can have one millionth part chometz, and it's Osir. it's mashhehu doesn't make any difference. Whereas in the laws of kashras, for instance, if it has one millionth part that is not kosher in uh, in an item, uh, the item is kosher. You can eat it. There's a rule of beetle. By chomets it doesn't exist. Uh, by chomets we have an iser hanoi. Not only can't you eat it, you can't have benefit from it. So there's all sorts of questions about... Uh, stock in companies. Let's say you own stock in General Mills, or you own stock in uh, Kellogg's, etc. Alright, so can I have benefit from it on Peso? Stock goes up. Do I have to sell my stock before Pesach? And all sorts of questions because of this question of Yisr Hanoi. The Torah even said Bal you're not allowed to see chomets, your own chomets on pesa. So, for instance, if you want to make your freezer half and half, so you have to cover the half that's not going to be uh, uh, for pesa. You're not allowed to see your chomets. And even the chomets that we sell to a non-Jew, which no longer is legally our chomets, the Jews are very careful to put it away. They're careful to uh, tape up the closets, uh, to close the cabinets with a lock, to make certain that it's not ours, that we don't want to see it on Pesach, because of the fact that it was this halacha b'al Baal So, again, we see that this concept of chometz is extremely far-reaching, because it goes to the heart of what the Jewish soul, what God demands of us, so to speak. And this great Sefer, the Onig Yontiv, says that by eating matzah on the first night of Pesach, we fulfill two mitzvot. The mitzvah, the positive mitzvah of eating matzah, and we fulfill the negative commandment of not eating chometz. He says, every time you eat matzah, it's not only that you're not eating matzah, it's also that you're not eating chometz. And therefore, there is a two-edged sword involved here uh, that drives us to this level of understanding of freedom and nobility. On the first night of Pesach it's a mitzvah that's incumbent upon all of us min atorah, to eat a Kazayas matzah. It's a mitzvah. Min the rest of Pesach so the Gemara says it's Rishus, the other six days. If you want to eat matzah, you can eat matzah. If you want to eat potatoes, eat potatoes. You don't have to eat matzah. But the Golden of Vilna says that every Kezayas matzah that a Jew eats on all seven days of Pesach, or eight days in the exile, there's a mitzvah on every Kezayas matzah that you eat, even in Cholamoy, not just the first night. You're not obligated to do that mitzvah. But if you do eat it, you have the mitzvah of eating uh, matzah. The gon shifah is the same, by the way, regarding Sukkot. That the mitzvah to eat in the sukkah is the first night of Sukkot. All right, The rest of the time, let's say you want to live on tangerines and bananas, so you don't have to eat in the sukkah. You can eat outside the sukkah. However, the goan says every piece of food that you eat in the Sukkot on all seven days of Sukkot, you have a in Torah that you've accomplished. And that's the viewpoint, again, of doing God's will. God's will is to eat matzah this week. I'm going to eat matzah. God's will is I'm going to eat in the sukkah. I'm going to eat in the sukkah, And that's this concept that Matzah brings to us. So we have a special din in Matzah called Matzah Shmura. So, Matzah Shmura, and we'll discuss, there are three types of Shmura. I'm not speaking monetarily, but uh, there are three types of Shmura. There's Shmura Mishas ktsira from the time that the wheat was cut. So, as long as the wheat is on the field and it's attached to the field, it can rain on it, Uh, water can come on it. In fact, water does come on it, that's how it grows, and we have no problem with it. Because as long as it's attached to the ground, the process of fermentation does not begin. However, the moment it's harvested, so then you have a question of water coming in contact with it. And the water, that comes in contact with it, begins the process of fermentation. The process of fermentation is what transforms it into Chomet. So it says, You shall watch the matzah. Where should, when should you start watching? So some say you watch it from the time of the harvest. Some say you watch it from the time of the kneading of the dough. In other words, you took flour, and now you pour water into it, and from that moment on, you are watching it that it should not ferment. And some say, from the time that the flour is ground, that's the middle sheet. From the time that you took the wheat and milled it into flour, that's when you have to start to watch. So, the Halocha is that it's sufficient to be matzah from the time of the meeting but that's not the way the Jews behave. Because, as I pointed out, by Chometz, uh, we uh, really have, uh, we never take the lenient approach. And therefore, our Matzah Shmura is always Mishas Ktsira, from the time of the harvest itself. And what happens is, uh, I don't know how it is here in Israel, but in the United States, I knew them when I was with the OU, uh, we had certain farms in Pennsylvania that grew wheat specially for Matsushmura. That was their business. Though. And we would uh, pick a day in October when the wheat was ripe, and the weather forecast was that you would have three, four days without rain. And we would go out and harvest. I mean, the, the machines harvested, but the Mashgirim were there to see uh, that the wheat did not come into any contact with water. And these farms uh, raised the wheat, so to speak, for all of the different matzah companies, and even for the individual small places. The Chesir Shem used to come out. was always a sight to see, especially in the middle of Pennsylvania farmers, who, by the way, always treated us with great respect in fact, awe, but in their heart's heart, thought that we were out of our minds. So those were those are the three types of Shemura. On Pesach, the first night, by the Seder, the mitzvah Torah is to eat Matzah Shemura. Now there are Jews, again, that are machmir, that the whole Pesach, they eat only Matzah Shemura. But at the minimum... Minimum requirement of Haloche is to eat matzah shmurah on the first night of Pesach. But we also don't eat uh, what's called matzah ashiro, rich matzah, matzah that's made out of eggs, uh, matzah that's made out of fruit juice uh, because of the question that that matzah, if it comes in contact with water, becomes humits faster than regular flour would do it. So because of that, unless a person is ill or there are other physical considerations, one should not eat on Pesach egg matzah, whole wheat matzah, chocolate-covered matzah, all of the varieties of matzah which are made with fruit juices because of the fact that that's matzah shira, and the, we have the custom of the ramah uh, not, to, uh, not to allow that. If we have the mitzvah of matzo as we have, the other mitzvah of eating, which which I want to conclude for the last few minutes here, is the mitzvah of moror, to eat bitter herbs on Pesach. Now, the eating of the moror is a mitzvah from the Rabbonon, not Minatora. Matzo bismanazez minatora. Moror bismanazez only a Rabbonon. Because it says in the Torah, al matzos umrorim yo the korban Pesach was eaten with matzah and moror. And that's the only Pesach in the Torah that refers to the eating of moror. So therefore the rabbi said that moror is only when there's a Pesach. Where there is no Pesach, we don't have the korban Pesach today. So therefore there is no mitzvah of moror minat Torah. But the rabbis kept the mitzvah of moror because of the reasons why moror was eaten. First reason, as the one that I mentioned to you, because Moror is eating the Adas. It reminds us that food is bitter, unless it's done correctly, unless somehow we are part of God's scheme of it. The second idea about Moror is because the Jewish people ate Moror in Egypt. It was a bitter life. Egypt was not a picnic. Eighty percent of the Jewish people did not survive. It's our first Holocaust. Millions of people died. Jews didn't come out. And therefore, even in the midst of our joy of celebrating our freedom, we eat the morrer in order to remember what happened to us in Egypt. What kind of moror? So the the Gomorrah mentions two kinds, horseradish and romaine lettuce. Even though there probably is no comparison between the two in uh, the effect that it has upon you. Uh, The Yemenites, for instance, eat dandelions. Uh, There are various customs amongst Jews the world over. Uh, In the... In uh, France, uh, they ate uh, uh, a, uh, an herb that later was used to make uh, uh, drinks. Uh, some, some places ate quinine. All sorts of things that had a bitter aftertaste, that left you with a bitter aftertaste. So the question arose, what kind of horseradish? So the, uh, the Chavez Das, the Nesivas, who has a descendant of his here in our shul, Rabbi Lohman Brown. So he said that you're not allowed to grind up the horseradish, you have to eat the horseradish. Because he says if you grind it up, it it loses its potency. So most of the rabbis said that that can't be the halacha because people can't exist that way is too uh, too bitter. And so therefore the Sham the great uh, Shoyalameshiv, Shvadron, so he said that just the opposite. He said, if you eat it whole, uh, you're not yotzei because normal people don't eat it whole. And you can never be mechayim mitzvah by doing something that's abnormal. You have to do it normally. You have to... Uh, Our custom is that we grind up the horseradish if we're going to eat horseradish and uh, use it for morr. I think most people today use romaine lettuce. Now, together with the morr. there's an order. First we eat matzo and then we eat mora because it's only with the redemption that the morr becomes a remembrance. I always think of that here in Israel. Uh, that the Holocaust here can be born because there's something after the Holocaust. If the Holocaust was the end, then we couldn't, we couldn't even talk about the Holocaust. It would be too, too much to bear. Because I'll say that in a family, God forbid, where uh, a death occurred, if a child is born into that family, a child, a grandchild, if it's born into that family, then consolation comes to the family Automatically. And what the rabbis meant by that is that the past becomes bearable if there's a future. If there's no future, then the past itself is unbearable. Can't deal with it. So we can only eat the more after the matzah. First, you have the matzah, which is our future, which is the fact that we got out of Egypt and that we got out all the time. <speaking in Hebrew> We're always saved. We're the eternal people, so then we can eat the mora. But if we didn't have the matzah first then the mora is so bitter uh, that no one can partake of it. With mora, we sweeten it with something called charosis. I saw that uh, Rav Kook, the Chetzal a man came to him from B'nai and he said that he wants a hechshir on charosis. He's got a charosis factory in B'nai one of the major industries. In, uh, in the economy, and he wants a, uh, you know, a Heksher, that is kosher. So Rav Kuk said to him, in B'nei Brak you have a factory for herosis. He said, here in Yerushalayim we have a factory for yachats, for breaking, uh, breaking apart. He says, that's our factory here, which unfortunately hasn't changed much, I see, in the, in the 70 years since he said that. Chorosis is made from the ingredients that symbolize the Jewish people. Apples, walnuts, almonds, wine, pomegranates, anything that symbolizes the Jewish people. Because if a person has Kalal Yisrael, if he has the Jewish people with him, if he feels part of the Jewish people, so that even the bitterest thing can be, And that's why we make it only out of those ingredients. If you want a special recipe, come see me. Mine is uh, outstanding. The spices that are used are cinnamon and ginger because those spices resemble the straw that our ancestors used uh, to have to make bricks out of in Egypt. But a harosis is the symbol of sweetening the morrer. So it's not just the more of Pesach, it's the more of life, more of my life generally. Throughout the ages, Jews have been loyal to the idea of matzah. In the Inquisition, Jews gave up their lives, even Jews who had converted to Christianity. But the night of the Seder, people baked matzah clandestinely. In fact, that was always one of the accusations. And If you read the books of the Inquisition, their records, the accusation was that they baked matzahs. Even in concentration camps in the last Holocaust, Jews attempted to have matzah. I had Jews in my shul in Muncie that were graduates cum laude of Auschwitz and other such places. Jews tried somehow to have even a crumb of matzah for Pesach. There's a picture in a book uh, that I have at home about the history of Zionism and uh, it shows uh, members of the Jewish Legion who fought for the British in the Second World War, eating matzah. And I thought that it was very symbolic, that that was the picture that the Jewish Legion wanted to send home of themselves. Because they saw in the matzah, again, the liberation, not only of the Jews in the death camps and of Europe, but they saw in it their future. And many of them became the leaders of the Jewish army, the leaders of Israel, the leaders who brought us to the future. So these ideas of matzah and moror should accompany us at the Seder because they give meaning to what otherwise would look to be purely ritualistic acts. And we should try and explain it to our children and grandchildren to see the grandeur behind it so that when we'll be able to eat Matzah and Moror, together with the Korban Pesach, will have a true appreciation of what we have gone through and what of our noble future will be. This concludes the fourth tape in the series, number 408, entitled "Matzah and Moror" by Rabbi Beryl Wine. For information, please contact the Destiny Foundation at 1-800-499-WINE. That's 1-800-499-9346. We can also be reached by email at info at Shop online at www.rabbiwine.com. Due to copyright laws, we kindly request that there be no duplication of this lecture.